Hi, New Hope. The scripture reading today is from John 15, 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of God. I knew hope. What a privilege it is. Praise God for the chance to worship him even under less than ideal circumstances. It's great to see those of you who could be here today in person. And it's great to see your faces, those of you who are on this call at home. And thanks for reading God's word to us, Josephine. Many of Jesus's commands are intimidating, to say the least. What I mean is that they can often strike us as good commands and desirable commands, but at the same time, they can feel impossible, unachievable. And this passage that Josephine just read for us contains one of those commands. It begins and it ends with a call to love one another, which is hard enough, but Jesus raises the bar even more when he says in verse 12, love one another as I have loved you. And then in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is not a casual love. It's not an easy love. Jesus' love cost him everything. And if you know that Christ died and laid down his life for you, then when you hear this command, it should drive you, drive us to worship them and at the same time tremble. Because these words, they confront us on the one hand with the strength of Jesus Christ's love and it confronts us with the weakness of our love. His heroic glory and our inadequacy. We read these words and maybe we ask, how can I ever love people like he has loved me? I don't have that in me. My first impulse is to protect my life, not lay it down. And this is where verses 14 and 15 are so helpful to us. Because there, Jesus speaks familiar, comforting words. My friends. My friends. If we hope to even begin to understand and to walk out this commandment to love one another, we need to know what the Lord means when he calls us his friends. It sure is a familiar word, isn't it? it friends, it's so familiar, in fact, that we might just look right past it and think that we know what it means, but do we really know what it means? Here's our guiding question for today. What does it mean to be Jesus's friends? 
According to this passage, it means at least three things. To be Jesus' friend means that you are chosen. To be Jesus' friend means intimacy. And it also means fruitfulness. We're going to look at each of those. So please, if you would, open up your Bible to John 15. If you have a Bible with you or device that you can use, John 15, verse 14. The Lord says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. There's intimacy right there. And then he goes on. You did not choose me. I chose you. You see, chosen. Chosen. Then he goes on in verse 16. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. There's that fruitfulness we're going to talk about. And that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. To be a friend of Jesus means you are chosen. Everyone likes being picked, no? Picked for the team, invited to the party. It always feels good. Any of you kids who might be out there, what does it feel like when a friend has a special get-together, just a small get-together with some other friends and they decide to invite you? It feels good, doesn't it? It still feels good when you get older, when you're an adult. Everyone loves being chosen. But the choosing that Jesus is talking about here is much more profound. When he uses this word, he's using the language of covenant. Covenant. And those Jewish men who he was speaking to, they would have recognized that right away. I'm going to invite you to flip back to the book of Deuteronomy. It's the, fact, the fifth book in the Bible. And we're, we're going to go back and forth a little bit between Deuteronomy and John. So if you open up to Deuteronomy chapter 7, God says these words, and he's speaking to Israel, to his people. He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to his fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I like to tell my little four-year-old daughter that she's beautiful and that she's intelligent and that she's amazing. I like to tell her this often, but she and I, we have this little thing that we've been doing for a long time where I will ask her, why does daddy love you? And she responds, you love me because you love me. You love me because you love me. You know why we do that? You know why I have taught her that? It's because I want that little girl to know that if one day, for some reason, she doesn't feel so beautiful, or she doesn't feel so intelligent, 
or she doesn't feel so amazing, I want her to know that she is loved and she is treasured and that cannot change regardless of how she feels or how she sees herself. And that is what God is saying to his Old Testament people in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And then here in John 15, the passage we're focusing on, Jesus is echoing the very same message as he speaks to his 11 disciples, brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking to you, to us. Only here in John 7, it's warmer. His words draw us even closer. He says, you're not just my people or my servants, you're my friends. Imagine that. The king of creation is saying, I chose you to be my treasured, beloved friend. Why? He loves you because he loves you. It's what he says in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 and 8. Essentially, the Lord set his love on you because the Lord loves you. That sounds circular, doesn't it? What he's saying is that he loves you by free, sovereign choice. There's no other reason that he can give for loving you other than he loves you by choice. But the Lord's choices are not fickle. No, he says in verse 8 of Deuteronomy 7, he is the Lord who keeps oaths, all of his oaths. And this love, this friendship that he's extended to you is sealed by an unbreakable oath. The Lord has sworn and he has bound himself by covenant to you, to treasure you, to never leave you, forsake you. He has set his heart on you. All of that is packed into these few words, my friends, I chose you. That would come to mean a lot to those men whom Jesus was speaking to on that Thursday evening. Because very soon, they would all let Jesus down. But they could now know that their failures could not break the friendship with Jesus. Because Jesus does not break his covenants. The Lord never breaks his covenants. We set conditions for our friendships, don't we? We say, yeah, I mean, we're friends, but I'll put up with so much, but not more than that. There is a line. Dane Ortland, who wrote an amazing book called Gentle and Lowly, says this, all our human friendships have a limit to what they can withstand. But what if there were a friend with no limit, no ceiling on what he would put up with and still want to be with you? That's Jesus. And I love what he says there. It's not that there's no ceiling on what he would put up with because he has to be with you. No, because he will still want to be with you. That's Jesus. You see, he didn't choose to enter into friendship 
because he believed that he could trust you. Or because he thought that you had a lot to offer him. Jesus' love is not reactive. That is, when he chose to set his heart on you, he wasn't responding to something you said or did. So he won't take back his heart from you because of something you said or did. I heard someone recently draw a distinction between covenant friendship and consumer friendship. Consumer friendship looks like this. It's when we stick around and we stay friends because we benefit from the relationship. We get enjoyment out of it. Or maybe we get affirmation or we get positive experiences out of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if the friendship ceases to be beneficial, if it gets too hard or it requires too much, we're out. That's consumer friendship. When we're asked to forgive too much, to be patient, and, and, and the friendship becomes no longer worth it to us. And we're like consumers who will withdraw our investment and look elsewhere for a better investment. That's not Jesus. His covenant friendship is rooted in an oath to never withdraw. Not only will he not withdraw his commitment to you, he will not withdraw his affection, his heart from you. In Jesus Christ, we are given, listen, this is Dane Ortland again in that same book I just quoted, Gentle and Lowly. He says, in Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. He will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. Jesus' love initiates, it doesn't react, and it perseveres, it doesn't withdraw. He says, you didn't befriend me, I befriended you. And this choice to befriend, it takes on even more meaning when we realize that he chose to lay down his life for his friends. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8, God says that it's because he loves his people that he brought them, quote, brought them out with a mighty hand and redeemed them from the house of slavery, from the house of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You see, God's love led him to rescue, to redeem those he loved. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's what he has in view here in John 15 when he hints at what will happen in just a few hours. He's going to rescue his friends, and it's going to cost him everything. He won't redeem them from Pharaoh. He will redeem them from slavery to sin and death, and he will do it by laying down his life. That word that Jesus uses in John 15, 13, to lay down his life, it also means to set down, to put down. The way you might stand at a counter to pay for a cup of coffee. When you get your coffee, what do you do? You set your money down. There's the cash. There's the payment. Jesus knew our sin. He knew what it would cost to buy our freedom, to pay the debt that we owe, he knew it would cost his life. 
And so he chose to stand at the counter, at that cross, and he set his life down. And the debt was canceled. In the words of Colossians chapter 2, it was nailed to the cross. See, to be a friend of Jesus means to be chosen. It also means intimacy. To be a friend of Jesus means to be chosen to enter into intimacy with him. And we see that intimacy here in a few different ways in John 15. Look at verse 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Everything I've heard from my father, I've made it known to you. Hear what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I've let you in. I have welcomed you into my conversations with my father. He speaks to me, and all I've heard, I've passed it on to you. The doors are open for you to come in and be a part of this relationship. We're not holding anything back from you. That's closeness. That is intimacy, not only with Jesus, but through Jesus. It's intimacy with the Father. This is the kind of friendship that welcomes you in to the warmth and the fellowship that the Father and the Son have experienced eternally that they have never not experienced. You've been welcomed in. Back in verse 9, Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. You see what he's saying there? He shares with his friends the love that his Father has given him. My Father's given me this love. It's precious to me. I give it to you. Can't get more intimate than that. Later on in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, Jesus the Son is going to pray. And here's what he's going to pray. Father, I desire that they also, my friends, whom you have given me, I desire that they may be with me where I am. To see the glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. See what Jesus wants here? You see what he's praying for? He wants us to be so near to him so that we can see what the Father has given him, to experience the fullness of the love that he has known from before creation. There are relationships that we treasure so much we don't want to let other people into it. Friendships that are so important to us, we don't want to bring anyone in. No, the door is closed. This is, this is done. This is private. Jesus says, no, I welcome you into the intimacy of my relationship with my Father. If you've truly believed in Jesus Christ, but you feel like you have lost a sense of his closeness, you need to know this. It is not because he has pulled away. Listen to Dane Ortland again. Quote, this is a companion whose embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken. It can't get stronger. 
and it never gets weaker. He embraces us fully. With some friends, you, uh, you're always on eggshells, no? Like you feel like if you say the wrong thing, if you do the wrong thing, the relationship's not gonna be the same. With some people you feel like if I say the right thing or do the right thing, then they will love me. But if I screw up, if I let them down, they're disappointed and they pull away. Maybe they don't say, no, I don't like you anymore. You're not my friend. No, but you can feel a certain coldness. The communications aren't as frequent. The words aren't quite as warm anymore. They've pulled away from you. Maybe it makes you feel like you're always just one failure away from losing their friendship altogether. But that is not Jesus. We lose a sense of intimacy because we draw away. Distracted by other friends. Distracted by things and people that we allow to take his place. There's a word in the Bible for that. It's called idolatry. Or, or we knowingly ignore his words and we ignore him. Instead, we start listening to the enemy of our souls instead of our friend. And we stray so far away from him because we're prone to wander. Lord, we can feel that. And the result of that straying away, that wandering, that drawing back, the result is a felt sense of distance between you and the friend who chose you and will never leave you or forsake you. But the warmth of that intimacy feels like it's gone. And you need to know this. His heart for you has not changed. He calls you back, in fact. If anything, he's got more mercy for you now. More concern for you now while you're drawing away. He's not pulling back. He wants to pull you in. He prays for you. He wants to welcome you. If this is where you're at, feeling like you're so far away from him, Listen to his words here in John 15. Don't neglect his friendship. You can trust his friendship. Like I said, friendship with Jesus means intimacy with him and with the Father through him. It's why Jesus says at the end of verse 16, so whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You see, to be a friend of Jesus means the Father now listens to you. And he will give you whatever you ask in Jesus' name. And Jesus' name is not some kind of magic formula or something we just kind of tag on to the end of our prayers to make them valid and acceptable. No, to pray in Jesus' name, it means, first of all, that because you are a friend of the Son, you can now bring your desires to the Father. It's like he's a dad who, if you bring a friend over to your house, your dad says, any friend of my child is a friend of mine. Any friend of my child is welcome here. Sit, eat, 
Tell me what you need. But praying in Jesus' name also means, it means praying prayers that align with what he cares about. What he desires. It's praying according to his will. It's wanting to pray according to his values, his mission. It's not taking what we want and then just stamping Christ's name on it. No, it's aligning ourselves with him so that what he wants for us and what he wants for others is what we see as good. And we want it too. By the way, when the son wants something for us, we can believe it's always good. What the son wants for us is always good. He's that kind of friend. He's the kind of friend who always seeks your absolute best interests, whether it feels like it or not. It's amazing, really. If you remember a few chapters back in the Gospel of John, we're told that Jesus is deeply troubled because he knows his hour has come. And he's troubled in his spirit, he says, because he knows not only has his hour arrived, the time for him to die, but he knows that one of his disciples will betray him. And although he is troubled in anguish, he turns to his friends in chapter 14, and he says, let not your heart be troubled. It's verse 1, 14, 27. He says it again. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then he goes on to comfort his friends with beautiful promises. You see, the troubled Savior, who's about to be abandoned, he's about to be executed, he's concerned about his troubled friends. If ever there was a time when someone could justifiably be selfish and make it all about them, this is the time. But he's so attuned to the needs of his friends. He, he's so intimately familiar with their hearts, he can't ignore it. Just a little bit earlier, we read in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And we said to lay down, it could also mean to set down, like the way you set down the payment for something. But that word can also mean to set aside. To set aside. Look at this, in a million little ways, Jesus set aside his life for his friends. Over and over and over again he did it. He set aside his desires. He set aside his concerns, his interests, his comfort. He set it aside again and again. Parents, you know what this feels like. You know what it feels like and you know how hard it is to set aside your concerns for your children, your goals even, your comfort. Jesus set aside his life again and again, to the point that when his soul is in anguish and turmoil, he looks away from himself to empathize with them. His own pain can't keep him from listening to them. 
hearing their fears. Brothers and sisters, friends of Jesus, this is how he empathizes with you. Has anyone ever shared a burden with you, like a problem, and you thought, oh, goodness, if they only knew what I was dealing with, they wouldn't tell to me about their problems. You think you've got trouble. You don't say it, but you think it. Often we're so self-focused. We don't have time to concern ourselves with someone else's trouble. Or maybe we're just so overwhelmed. You, you don't have the bandwidth to care. Jesus sets aside his own life and he cares for yours. That's intimacy. Lastly, to be a friend of Jesus means fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Look at verse 16. Once again, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Interestingly, that word appointed, it's the very same word in verse 13 for laid down. Remember it said it could mean to lay down or to set down or to set aside. Appointed is the same exact Greek word. And what it can mean is to set apart. To set apart. And that's what it means here. You see, to be a friend of Jesus means you have been set apart to go and bear fruit. He has appointed you to that task. You don't need to earn his friendship. You don't need to meet his expectations in order for him to continue loving you. No. But if you are his friend, he has appointed you, set you apart for this task. Go and bear fruit. We have to ask, what kind of fruit? Some say the fruit that's in view here is conversions to Christianity. Like Jesus is saying, you should go out, and the fruit I want to see you bear, if you love me, go out, make disciples. But I think that's a little off. Or at the very least, it's, it's, it's too narrow. Remember, this section we read today, in verse 12, it starts with a command. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then it ends in verse 17 with a reiteration, love one another. And in verse 14, Christ says this, you are my friends if you do what I command you. But what has he just commanded? He said, love one another. Love one another. And by the way, he's not saying that you become Jesus' friend by doing what he commands. No. Remember, he chose you. What he is saying is that those who have become his friends will do what he commands. Friendship with Jesus results in the fruit of obedience to Jesus. And the particular kind of obedience that Jesus has been talking about here is this. Obey my command to love one another as I have loved you. Jesus' friends will bear the fruit of love for one another. That's the fruitfulness he's talking about here. And how has he loved his friends? Because remember, he's saying... Love one another as I have 
loved you? And how has he loved his friends? Well, we've seen it already. We looked at it. He chose to love us. Not because of something we said or did that impressed him. No, he loved us because he loved us. He extended covenant friendship to us. That is, he promised to love, to put up with, to forgive. It's not a consumer friendship, conditioned on whether we live up to expectations. No, we do let him down, and still he patiently forbears, doesn't he? He doesn't take back his heart from us. He welcomes us in. He speaks truth to us. He lays down his life for us. He sets aside his concerns to care for ours. He sets aside his comfort to care for us. These are the ways he loved us. These are the ways he's calling us to love one another, his friends, in the context of the church. We said at the start that this is an intimidating command. We cannot manufacture this kind of love. This kind of friendship, it demands too much. We don't have it in us. It's only when we are enjoying friendship with Jesus that we will begin to have the resources to be a friend like he is. You see, the more we enjoy his love, the more we can start to love this way. And that's why we spent so much time today, most of our time, focusing not on the command, but on his friendship. What does this friendship look like and feel like? How does he love us? That's why back in verse 9, Jesus says, abide in my love. Rest in it. Enjoy friendship with me. Because it's the only way that we can obey his commandment to love is if we are abiding his love, enjoying it, resting in his friendship, relishing it, thinking about it, thanking him for it, spending time with him in it, simply enjoying it. Because friendship with him transforms us to the point where we start to want to befriend like he befriends. We start to want to welcome others into our lives like he does, to put up with others patiently like he does, to speak truth like he does, to set aside our own desires and demands like he does, to seek the good of our friends and not their comfort or to seek their good at least over their comfort, like he does. And all of that takes effort. There's no doubt it takes lots of effort. Obeying always takes effort, but it's an empowered effort. It's an empowered obedience. It's so empowered by the spirit of Jesus that he calls it fruit. Fruit is not manufactured, right? Fruit grows, and it's fed, and it's sustained by the vine that it grows off of, that it's attached to. It's 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. We don't have time to look at it, but go to 1 Corinthians 13. Read about the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here. And you'll see that the kind of love that the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is very, very much like the love and the friendship that's described here in John 15. 
And it's only possible to the degree that we are abiding his friendship. You might know this passage in Philippians 1, 8. Paul the Apostle says, God is my witness, how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's talking to other friends of Jesus. He's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. What is that? But the love of Christ flowing through this man and to his friends. That's the only way this kind of love is possible. If we're going to enjoy and abide in his friendship, we need, practically speaking, we need to win this daily battle to spend time alone with him. We cannot abide and enjoy his friendship otherwise. And when we don't win the battle to spend time with our friend daily, what happens? When we're not enjoying that friendship, but let's be honest, what happens? What starts to overflow out of your heart towards other people? Maybe it's impatience, selfishness, that self-focused anger. It's toxic. That's the fruit. That's the fruit. And it reveals where we've been abiding. But when we're abiding in the friendship of Christ, fruit looks altogether different. So, New Hope, brothers and sisters, let's not neglect the friendship of Jesus. If you've never believed in Jesus, don't reject his friendship. He offers it to you. He welcomes you in to experience it. Let's receive his friendship. Let's thank him for it. And let's trust him to bring the kind of fruit he's calling us to bear. Please pray with me. Father, we confess that our love is so unlike yours. We confess, Father, that sometimes we like others who like us, or we like others who are like us, who benefit us. Lord Jesus, thank you for befriending us when you stood to gain nothing from it. It costs you so much. Lord, give us a love like yours. Help us to so enjoy you that we will love others like you. We ask for this, Lord. We ask for it expectantly and confidently because we believe that this is your will, Jesus. You've told us this is your will. It's your command. So we ask expectantly in your name. Amen.